Okay, here we go. One, two, three, four. Welcome to Curious Creative Conversations, an interview series with various members of New York's artistic community exploring their point of views on their work and its impact. I'm your host, Grace Lynch, and today in the man-made music studios, we have Susan Blackwell, actor, writer, performer, web series creator, liberator of creativity, destroyer of inner demons, a great friend. Am I, am I missing anything? Those thoughts so good. You did so well. Thank you so much. Cast a wide net. Well, you cast a wide net. I trust sure. you, Grace. I really try to. So... Before we fully launch into your wide net, as I hope we do, um, I just want to start with how it is that you got to New York. What propelled you here? And if you were coming here for acting specifically, mm-hmm. then why was it New York? Why wasn't it Chicago or L.A.? Great question. How I got to New York. So I went to um, graduate school at the University of Minnesota. And immediately after that, I went into the acting company at the Guthrie Theater. I think I was there for two seasons and I had always that had been my target to I wanted to be a rep member at sort of a big classical rep company in the United States I mean in my dream it would be Stratford Festival in Canada but that wasn't happening so um but Minneapolis has an amazing art scene, Mm -hmm. I think, largely because it's so cold for so many months of the year that people really have to either embrace outdoor cold weather activities or brace Brace indoor indoor. warm warm Mm -hmm. activities. And so there's more theaters per capita there than I think any other city in the United States. I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenally vibrant um, creative scene. Uh, but the Guthrie is like the big daddy, and it's one of the biggest um, Lort theaters in the United States. And so it was a little bit of a glass ceiling. And there was an actor, I was doing a production of, one of the things I was doing in rep was a production of As You Like It. And mm-hmm. the actor, there was an actor named Thomas J. Ryan, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal actor who had come out to play Touchstone, I think, in that production. And we just hit it off, and he said, I have a two-bedroom apartment in New York City, and I will kick out my roommate. If you want to move to New York, you can have the second bedroom. And no it was way. that was enough. That was to have a place to, to live mm-hmm. was enough. And I also, through um, extreme good fortune already had representation in place in New York City as well and so I had a home and I had representation and I was like why not why not go to a bigger market where there is no ceiling there there is no ceiling I mean it just goes on and on and on and on and on um and so I that's how I came to New York and what was fueling you to pursue acting specifically I know you've branched off into like many different formations since but what was that initial spark that had you just gunning for that career well I had been acting since I was pretty young and I had um, studied I that was my major in undergrad and it was mm-hmm. my major in graduate school as well and so I was really on that path that was chosen by like 16-year-old me, Mm 17-year-old me, and just sort of had my head down and was pursuing that. Um, 
so why, but you know, I could get into the psychological reasons of why, why one does that. Um, I think it was to, I enjoyed it. I thought I was good at it. I had been encouraged uh, externally, mm -hmm. you know, and gotten a lot of positive feedback. Um, it was a way for an introverted person, which is what I am. It was a way for an introverted person to have a wider bandwidth of expression. Mm -hmm. um, That's, I do not picture you as an introverted person. I am a dyed-in-the-wool introvert who has the external appearance of being an extrovert. Um, and it has really been a sort of an unconscious and now mm -hmm. is a conscious, um, I guess, coping mechanism that I engaged in in order to achieve the things that I wanted to achieve. Um, and but now that I know that about myself, I can structure my life a little bit differently so that I can be as, I don't know, authentic as possible, if that makes sense. And speaking to those goals or those things you wanted to achieve, what were those specific acting goals that you had upon coming here? Or were there just moments in your acting experience here where you were suddenly going, oh, my God, how the hell did I get here? Well, I think I wanted to be an actor who made their living acting, mm -hmm. um, which seems like a very modest goal, but is immensely difficult, it, it, depending on who you are. I mean, mm -hmm. I found it very challenging, um, though from almost I feel like I got my first I got cast in my first off-Broadway show. I'd have to go back and look at my calendar, but it was something like three weeks after I got here. I got my first <laughs> off-Broadway show. Um, and I was like, this is great. This is how it's always gonna be. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be successful in like five seconds. PS, as as romantic as that sounds, I couldn't I could barely pay my rent, which wasn't a lot at the time. Um, there were there were days when I didn't have enough um, change even to buy subway fare, so I would have to walk, um, you know, thirty blocks instead of taking the subway. So that's what I mean. Where like you can be a working actor mm -hmm. and not be able to fully support yourself. Yeah, right. That came later. And what were then the standout moments when you realized like, oh, this is working, or like. A, a goofy time where what you're time like, is it? <laughs> right. how did I end up here? Um, I feel like I knew the tingle lets you know it's working when I refined my goal where initially I was, I, I, and I remember saying it out loud, I just want to be um, somebody who can support themselves by acting. And I refined my goal to, I want to be a person who makes work that I love with people that I love and makes a fine living mm -hmm. that way. Um, so a standout moment for that was to jump ahead was um, when my friends and I, you know, at some point I started making my own work mm -hmm. and um, making that work with people of my choosing. And uh, when we made something that we were performing in at the Vineyard Theater, we were performing off Broadway, which was uh, a theater I had always wanted, always wanted to work for and at, and we were there and we were there um, on something that we had made ourselves. Is this so, Title of Show? It's a show called Title of Show, which is an original musical. Yeah. So Title of Show is the first thing I ever saw you in, which was a treat and a half, and I saw it at the vineyard. How old were you when you saw I that? I was thirteen. Grace? You were thirteen years old, and your brain was so <laughs> spongy. So spongy, and it was 
all permanently cataloged. <laughs> I think I hum original musical like every four days um, while walking down the street. Amazing. Um, so in title of show, there's a great number that is very much your own, which is Die Vampire Die. Sure. Which you know is about destroying our inner demons that stop us from being the free creative people we're meant to be. And I know that that's something that you've extrapolated into like workshops mm-hmm. or in, like a larger mm-hmm. I, like entity. And I'm wondering if that had begun before that song was created or if that came after, if it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. So that, uh, to back it up just a little bit, Die Vampire Die is a phrase that um, our writing teacher slash mentor, Linda Berry, uh, first exposed us to Hunter Bell and I, who's one of my frequent collaborators, Hunter Bell and I were taking um, a week-long writing workshop with this amazing teacher and artist, Linda Berry. Mm-hmm. And she introduced us to the phrase, die, vampire, die. And what it meant was when those internal voices or external voices rise up in you that try to stop your creativity or stop you from being free and self-expressed, and they can come in many, many shapes and forms, um, to be able to recognize them and dispatch them by saying, die, vampire, die. It became super useful as we were making more and more of our own work because um, Stephen Pressfield wrote that great book, The Art of War, and he talks about how when the creative impulse comes, there's usually a twin energetic um, occurrence phenomenon, Mm -hmm. which is resistance. And that can show up like a vampire, that can show up like lethargy, that can show up, you know what I mean? And it was that die vampire die mantra that helped us just recognize it and squelch it so that we could get on with sharing Mm -hmm. what we had written or uh, you know by continuing on the creative process we talked about it so much that it worked its way into our work so if title of show is a musical that chronicles its own creation it was very natural to have a musical number called Die, Vampire, Die, where we uh, Mm -hmm. explored that idea. And while we were doing title of show off-Broadway at the Vineyard, the Vineyard asked Hunter Bell and I if we would teach a class of some sort for their summer theater boot camp for high school students. Mm -hmm. And we created this workshop, which does a lot of things simultaneously. It gives people a taste of a creative process, beginning, middle, end. It talks about what I just said, Mm -hmm. which is identifying those things that stop us from being free, from being creative and being self-expressed, and a whole lot of other stuff mixed in there as well. So it all sort of happened. It was a very creatively feckened time. It all sort of happened simultaneously that as we were doing title of show at the Vineyard, we were also creating accompanying sort of educational offerings that further explored the things that we were um, exploring in our creative work. It sort of even peeled the onion back more to let people have an experiential taste of it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that you have also, though, carried forward. Yeah, because I saw how um, how powerful it was for people. And Mm -hmm. I really saw how it was not I'm sort of want to throw up in my mouth, but but how how much it was having a positive impact on people and 
permitting them to, in a very, very safe way, to have these sort of breakthroughs, creative breakthroughs, and even some psychological breakthroughs, and starting to dismantle those those subconscious, long-held beliefs that people had that they weren't the people that were supposed to be the makers of things right. and they weren't the they couldn't possibly tell that story about their mom because their mom was still alive and just all sorts of things and sure. trying to or they couldn't possibly be successful because they their body wasn't a certain way or because you know it's just amazing how many of these vampires that we all mm -hmm. carry around and how you can if you choose to you can set about to um identifying and addressing them, processing them so that you can get on with the making of things. And do you see that as an artistic pursuit, as a human pursuit? Do you see those as one and the same? I feel like uh, what I've discovered is it's a, at its foundation, it is a human pursuit. Mm -hmm. um, I want, my, I feel like my purpose has come into focus uh, over the past few years, which is that desire to free myself and to free others. Um, so at its foundation, it feels like a human pursuit. And then it's in service to sometimes it's an artistic or creative mm -hmm. uh, pursuit. Sometimes it's in service to, you know, in the corporate setting, I do a lot of this work with mm -hmm. um, at universities and some very high functioning high schools and in the corporate setting and the the sort of application and messaging is tailored to that right. audience but i find that um many of these things also promote team building promote mm -hmm. sort of a really really healthy essential vulnerability for groups to work well together um promote self-understanding and empathy and better communication and that sort of thing. So that's what I meant when I said they are, these different offerings are sort of mm -hmm. siblings to each other and can be complementary, uh, and they also can stand alone. But, but it's all sort of just these pieces of learning that I have right. assimilated for myself and then can, you know, pass on to other people. Mm-hmm. So in addition to carving out that space for yourself in the in the broader community, you also have a great web series side by side, which I feel like is carving out another space <laughs> of you in a very different way, but of, you know, interacting with, you know, prominent figures or celebrities or, you know, theater and stars um, and kind of a goofy, fun off the wall kind of way. Yeah. And I'm wondering how that is related in that sense where you're kind of maybe taking someone out of their normal yeah. Yeah, yeah. situation and presenting yeah, so them in a different light. Years ago, years ago, I don't even know how many, five years, I don't know how long it's been. Uh, some years ago, um, Paul Wernturek, who's the editor-in-chief editor at Broadway.com, asked if I would be interested in doing something for them mm -hmm. and basically let me make up my own thing and write my own ticket. And then paid me to do it. It's an amazing, amazing job. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to do these, essentially a web series that was a series of friend dates um, where I would <laughs> okay. meet with uh, usually a Broadway TV or movie star and we would do some activity on location. And um, it, it's funny. I, I love them because I feel like they 
by and large, and some people, I, some some of the segments I feel are more successful at this than others, but by and large, it gives the viewer a chance to come along with us on the friend date and also see this person in a way that maybe they haven't been mm-hmm. seen before, which is a bit more relaxed, a right. bit sillier, um, a bit weirder, like yeah. just like the little, like a little tiny gentle mm-hmm. flying of their freak flag. And... The thing that is, it actually is in a line with my a purpose when I'm talking mm-hmm. about like my educational offerings or even the work I like to make, because I want them to be free. Yeah. And I really try to set up a vibe where they can feel super safe mm-hmm. and they can like really swing for the fences. So I'm wondering how it is that you set that up, because in when you're producing a piece mm-hmm. and creating it. It's so uniquely in your control that yeah. that's what you can define. Yeah. An educational offering that's clearly the intent going in for all those participating. Yeah. So when you walk into, you know, hang out with Zachary Quinto in his living room with his dogs, yeah. how do you set that s- scene of just like, all right, we're going to we're going to be open with one another? Is that well, that's so- a good question. I feel like um, in all of the whether it's in a corporate conference room mm-hmm. or it's in Zachary Quinto's living room. <laughs> Cinema Spock, anybody know? Okay. Um, <laughs> that it's, uh, it, it is a little bit the same at a super foundational level, like at an mm-hmm. energetic level. I, I come in with the energy that I am fighting for the powers of good and that I am, like, it's not a takedown. It, this mm-hmm. isn't going to be like, you know, hard-hitting journalistic, you right. know. It's, it really is, um, I, I come, first of all, like, fighting for the powers of good. On top of that, before I interview somebody in this scenario, it would be different in, a, in another scenario, but in this scenario... I say to them, right before cameras roll, here's my secret, I say to them, um, I want you to be free. I want you to let your mouth go where your mouth wants to go. I want you to swing for the fences. And anything that makes you look like a racist homophobe, I will cut out in post. (laughs) Anything like if, and there are some people that I've interviewed where they have an international identity. Mm -hmm. And so... It's important that before this ever airs, all profanity is removed. Or um, somebody might say something that is, it just comes out like a weird way or the wrong way. Or even they tell a story that's like super personal. And then they're like, oh, maybe not that. Or or they, it will be a spoiler for an upcoming episode of a TV show they're on or something like that. And so we'll... um, I usually have a pretty good spidey sense of it. Mm-hmm. And they're allowed to, whether it's the day, uh, like in the moment on camera, um, immediately after we cut that night when they wake up at three o'clock in the morning, right. or when I call them from the editing room, they're allowed to say, well, maybe not that, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll cut pieces out. So that also, I think, creates a sense of personal safety because Mm -hmm. they know that I have their back and typically there's usually one I'm in the editing room and there's one thing that I'm like I don't know about that I Mm -hmm. could go either way and I will text them or call them and say do you give can I have permission to use this or would you prefer that it's struck and 
It's it's so funny. I can never guess how people are going to go with it, but um, they usually have a strong opinion one way or the mm-hmm. other. Yeah. And do you have any standout moments from that web series of goofy things you've been able to get celebrities to do with you? Oh boy, it's never. I'm never trying to get them to like. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can really get him to like. <laughs> sure. It's not that calculated, um, but there have been some. I feel like uh, this is where I feel like the luckiest girl in the world because. As an, again, as an introvert, I'm more most comfortable usually with um, socially. I'm most comfortable when it's like six or less people in a situation. So to have like a one-on-one yeah. and get that time with like people that are typically very busy mm-hmm. and to have just to really... It, it really is just to have fun, mm-hmm. just to like volley back and forth and, you and know, sure try to make them laugh. And absolutely. They need time to do that as well. Um, With someone whose schedule is going to be as busy as, you know, yeah. Andrew Reynolds. Like, yeah. Like, he needs a break. <laughs> Andrew needs enough of a break to come play Ouija board with me. That was a he's <laughs> he's an amazing person that I had spent that time with him. And I was just like, I want more Andrew Reynolds mm-hmm. time. He is so fun to talk to and he's so quick and he's so delightful that you're just like <gasps> and that is a, that is sort of a something that ties all those people together is you spend time with them and you're just like <gasps> there's so much fun <laughs> I want more of that mm-hmm. so and that's that that sort of energy that feeling that fizzy lifting drinks I call yeah. it, fizzy lifting mm-hmm. drinks feeling that I get from those people that I want to capture on camera as well um, but to your question are there are there moments that really stand out for me it it is those moments when i'm it sort of lift i sort of we all forget the cameras there right and it lifts off into something that genuinely like makes me giddy Mm -hmm. that genuinely makes me laugh um and there's a quite a f- there's quite a few of those. It sort of goes above and beyond the actual privilege of getting to like have Kelly O'Hara teach you a cooking recipe in her kitchen mm-hmm. or have <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe scrub your toilet. Like it lives <laughs> off uh, even above that into um, where that person is genuinely making you giggle. Mm-hmm. That is the best. Um, there's one one of the things I get asked quite a bit is um, there's an episode where Zachary Quinto and I, we've actually done two together. There's an episode where he and I, this is making me miss Zach Quinto. I, I, I owe him. Uh, I just saw him in Smokefall. How was, was that? Fantastic. He's so good. He's so good. If you guys didn't know it, <laughs> know it. He's such, he's so, such a good actor. Sidebar. Yeah. I just want to tell Zach Quinto sidebar. So, I'm always like, as an actor, I'm like, I want to, and I typically get cast in stuff where I'm like sitting, just sitting at a table, like talking a lot, like expert testimony or stuff like that, like a lot of words. And I don't want to run around too much and I don't want to wear uncomfortable shoes and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And Zach's an actor who can do that, but he can also do action movies where he and like Benedict Cumberbatch are beating the hell out of each other on and top fighting of a through space. moving yeah. space train or something mm-hmm. like that. And one time I was like, is that hard? Like, does that make you nervous? Because he was saying how they practice it for months and then they get on set and they change it all, like in the moment. And I was like, does that make you crap your pants? And he was like, I remember so clearly, he was like checking something on his phone. He was like, no. And I was like, that's why you're 
Zachary Quinto, and I am the lady who just like sits at a desk and like in movies and talks or fires people or something like that. Um, there's a moment with Zachary Quinto that people ask me about a lot that genuinely made me laugh. We were playing a game um, that I made up with our friend Steve White called Name That Dog, where you see a dog <laughs> and you, um, we were at the dog run and you see the dog and you go, one, you go, name that dog and then simultaneously you both try to name the dog and whoever names the dog better sure wins the point absolutely yes nobody keeps track of the points so um we were playing name that dog in the park and this beautiful dog trotted by and we were like name that dog and we said two words that individually are harmless but when they crash together they are we had to bleep it like we had to bleep it out and cover our mouths because it couldn't you know he's like a he's like an international yeah. film guy and it like i was like we left the interview and he was like we we can't you have to cut that and i was mm -hmm. like you think Quinto? <laughs> and then he was like is there any way we could keep that in there and i was like you're out of your mind you have an international reputation to uphold but I had the idea, like, if we bleeped it and we covered our mouths, then we could get that moment where we are struck by that fizzy lifting mm -hmm. drinks moment, but we don't have to have either of us arrested. So it worked out great. And no, I'm not going to tell you what the two words Damn were. It. No. Saw me poised. Ready to <laughs> I saw you ready to Desperate ask. Desperate to know. Race, no <laughs> way. I hate not knowing. Um, but I love that. I love the what that reaction must have been for both of you to be like, no, no. Go <laughs> look it up online. It is I will. it is genuine, <laughs> weird. It, it's amazing, but but to your, to answer your question, it's what we all want. Like mm -hmm. the moments in the in that web series that rock my world are the moments where I, I don't know we're all seeking, which is that being around people that you love and just like mm -hmm. having a light heart and and uh, those sunny mm -hmm. bubbles that yeah and do you see it as you sharing your voice and your point of view or using your voice to facilitate others I, a little bit of both i, I don't mm -hmm. think you can escape the fact that uh, you know i'm theirs and i have right. a i have a voice and i have a point of view so mm -hmm. you know it it's part of the equation but if I'm honest, I'm trying to feature the other person more. Sometimes during the course of filming, we'll get into conversations and the person will have a genuine curiosity about something and, and ask me a question. And in my mind, I'm, I may be making them laugh. I may, and in my mind, I'm like, this will never see the light of day because in the edit, we're going to always focus on them more always than we're going to focus on me. But the thing mm -hmm. that's so beautiful about when I, when I coach people and I work with people, actors and opera singers and, you know, I will say to them, nothing is for naught. Nothing is for naught. And the way that that shows up in my life is, so I have been working for 20 years in corporate environments. Simultaneously, I've had parallel careers where I've been, I've been acting, performing, writing, mm -hmm. creating for 20 years. And I've also been teaching since graduate school. So I almost have like three big parallel careers. And now what I'm doing is I'm braiding all of it together into and into my own business mm -hmm. and it permits me to stand in with great credibility in all of those mm -hmm. worlds simultaneously and to be able to do work that brings all of that together is it, it's like my whole brain if, if they had yeah. uh, if my brain was being scanned while I was you know 
doing that work, it, mm-hmm. I think it would be lighting up like All a, lighting you up. know, taste of the rainbow. It would be amazing. As someone who also feels that whenever I do some, any particular activity, it's pretty much only accessing one, maybe two portions of my brain yeah. all at a time. And I normally have like, in my mind, about eight cylinders running yeah. and most of them are bored or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I find activities that take the majority or all of them, that is a moment of such deep resonance and satisfaction yeah. that just makes you feel like, oh, I'm finally where I'm in the right spot. Can I turn the tables and ask you a question? Yes, you may. Can you give me an example of um, activity or activities that do that for you, that light up your being in that way? The first time I fully felt it, and maybe the only like time when it was like, oh, I got all eight going, yeah. was directing a play. First time I directed a play. And what did that what did that cover off for you, directing a play? What did that contain? It was... It? human-based because mm-hmm. people are everything I care about yeah um, and it was figuring out how to specifically work with each individual person I think was what I also liked you know you have six actors on stage but one suggestion isn't gonna work for each one mm-hmm. you have to tailor it to each one so mm-hmm. figuring out how each individual brain worked crack those codes crack all crack those individual each of those codes, codes yeah. and then figuring out how to communicate to each one mm. was immensely satisfying on that level but then I also had the objective aesthetic of what I was going for and making sure that that marked with the trajectory of the play as a text outside of myself. Yeah. And then that on top of that, I'm also managing a crew and yeah. a team. So I've got like the management, the larger artistic vision, and then the individual tracks with people. And that was just like, boom, I got it all. I love that story. That was a good one. I love that. What was the show, just out of curiosity? In the next room or the vibrator play. Oh, you filthy girl. Right? Isn't it the best? <laughs> um, yeah, that was a treat. Um, threw some Beyonce into the intermission. Really made it my own. <laughs> Which song? What song? Blow, of course. <laughs> filthy. Um, okay, so just going back to you. And focus on you, which is the point. We'll cut that all out in the box. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's a I Actually, I hope you don't. That was, uh, it's so interesting. And I, I hope that for people, too. I hope that mm-hmm. for myself and I hope that for others. To find those things, I'm so curious about it, to find those things that can bring together, uh, it's funny you call it eight cylinders, but that get the whole brain mm-hmm. working in concert with itself. I, I, I hope you don't cut that out. But if you do... There's a clean scene for you. <laughs> um, how are you then viewing the current landscape of not just the theater world, but also probably entertainment on a larger scale as you're dipped your hand into so many different pockets of it? As you now create your own business and are mm. more so selling yourself as an entity. It's funny. I'm not, I don't think that I am, I don't think I have my finger on the pulse of of the landscape of you know what's happening in the culture right now I feel like I'm on that front I follow charm to quote my meditation teacher sort of move towards what I like and uh ingest that and so right now like I really like Hamilton I like listening to that along with the rest of the world um because it it makes my booty bounce and it, and it lights my brain <laughs> up um i was watching i don't know how i missed it but i was watching an episode of sherlock last night and observing the 
all the the full package of that, starting with the writing and the way mm-hmm. that it's art directed and the acting and the casting and that was sort of that was sort of lighting my brain up and sort of scaring me at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm easily scared. Um, and I'm reading um, Victor Frankl's book *Man's Search for Meaning*, and that's lighting up a different. So I'm just like I'm following charm. I'm following mm-hmm. what interests me and taking that in. I read, I try to stay lightly, lightly abreast of um, what's happening in the sort of New York theater culture, what's happening in the entertainment industry lightly because there's there's so much happening. And mm-hmm. I, if I take on, it's like the news, if I take on having to be responsible and have my arms around all of it, I will go it's just too much and I start feeling guilty and there's more I can do and like I need another job right Um, and I also try and I also try to keep abreast of what's happening in the news Mm -hmm. locally globally Um, and where do you see yourself fitting into that that landscape that you're keeping keeping just enough tabs on I do you um, see yourself outside of it which is how it sounds but not necessarily mm. as I would guess or perceive it to be I feel like this is an interesting mo- well interesting to me I don't know if it's anywhere else <laughs> but for me right now I um, I care less about how can I say this I am not super ambitious professionally in terms of I need to be like I, I'm, I don't need to be on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine like my friend Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, I don't really need that. What I So I feel like my ambition has drained a little bit, but I am so happy and so um, satisfied with the projects that I'm doing and the things that I'm building that I kind of, and I don't mean this to be, um, Kurt, but I kind of, I think I'll let the, my place in the world Mm -hmm. of, you know, entertainment or it can take care of itself. And I don't, I'm not, I don't know. I don't care that much as long Mm -hmm. as I can, you know, take care of my financial responsibilities and, uh, do the work that matters to you, do work that matters to me. That is, I don't have that drive that I probably had as a younger person. Mm -hmm. And I'm figuring out that I'm actually okay with that, that I'm actually pretty good with that. Um, But it will be interesting to see, there's some projects that I'm making right now that I can imagine having a larger appeal, having, Mm -hmm. and I'm sort of like, great if netflix buys that great if if it just is a thing that i make for my own satisfaction great Great. like i yeah no that's a beautiful place to be i don't know man sometimes i do feel like when i do feel something negative about it i feel guilty about it because i'm just like no you're supposed to be more hard charging than that and i feel like i have historically been more hard charging than that but it's it's just not where i'm at Mm -hmm. i'm just more chilly chill about it than I have been when I was a younger person. It sounds like a sense of internal contentment. Oh boy. So much. Yeah. Which is something I believe most people search for externally endlessly. So I do have a sense of um, 
was just talking about this this morning with my friend Patrick that I my where, where my ambition has has subsided significantly mm-hmm. it has been filled up with <laughs> I feel kind of happiness I feel happy I love you know I love being at home I love gardening in my little New York garden and my dog and you know my I love it oh I'm getting emotional this makes me so happy to hear (laughs) I'm so happy that I um (laughs) that now the I have to have to maintain the balance of being like don't forget to you know engage in work and but I'm doing that too so it's I've and I feel really really fortunate and I know that it may shift again and it will shift again because we're it's life um but it's pretty good Perfect. Yeah. So I'm going to stop us there. At the end of each of these interviews, I ask all of my interviewees mm-hmm. seven questions. Oh, my gosh. I'm so, I love it. I love these speed round. Oh, I love this. Fantastic. So sidebar, I left them at my desk. So I'm going to grab them. <laughs> and I will edit this time out in post. I'm so sorry, Justin. I will be right back. <laughs> Adorable. Okay. You should just leave this on in real time. Yeah, no, just keep. This is how long it takes. Fill for time. Fill for time. I will. This is how long it takes Grace to. um, I don't think you should. I think we should just let this roll. So these are the things that I would have said to you, um, except I didn't want to say them when Grace is in the room. I've known Grace since she was pretty young. I feel like my first. Oh, she's almost back. My first image of her is just like little, in a nightgown on her living room floor. It's really little. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. And we're back. Oh, hey, Justin, thank you. Okay, so these are our seven questions that are asked at the end of every interview. The answer is supposed to be extemporaneous, off the top of your head, whatever feels right in the moment. Okay. So number one, if you could live anywhere for a year, where would it be? Oh, boy. The very first thing that came to mind, the very, very first thing that came to mind is where I live now. Yeah, no, you got to go somewhere else. Oh, you have to go somewhere yeah, else. I can't live where else. I live no. now because I love it so much and I'm so happy there. Um, okay, the second, and it just came to mind, I have not thought this through, was uh, maybe a full year on a, like a, like an organic farm oh. so that I could get a full year of exposure to, you know, crop rotation mm-hmm. and beekeeping and uh, just to learn that for a full year. That might be interesting. Do you mind where the farm is? I, I'm making this all up as I go along. So I'm going to go with upstate New York. I just made that up. That sounds perfect. Yeah. I believe it. Number two, a book you'd recommend to a friend. I'm right in the middle of Victor Frankl's mm-hmm. Man's Search for Meaning, and so far that's pretty baller. Um, but you know what's my favorite book? Like, I just love it, and I will go back to it, and um, is A Prayer for Owen Meany. I love A Prayer for Owen Meany. Have you ever read that book? I haven't. It is one of those books. I've given this book, like, you know, if you have a gift exchange where it's like, the oh, limit yeah. is $5, and you're <laughs> like, I can't buy a a bar of soap for five dollars but you can get like a paperback book Mm -hmm. and i've given this book at gift exchanges and people are like thanks for this book and they feel like they got gypped and then like two weeks later they come back to you with tears streaming down their face and they're Mm -hmm. like it's my favorite book so i'm gonna go with a prayer for owen meanie fantastic who's it by um what's his name john oh god 
John Irving. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah, that's good. All right. A movie you would not recommend to a friend. Oh, boy. A movie I would not recommend to a friend. Oh, God. Human Centipede. I would not recommend <laughs> that to anybody. Yeah, are we allowed to cuss on this? Yeah, sure. Why not? Fuck that shit. Fuck that <laughs> torture porn bullshit. I don't know what it, why people enjoy watching that. And I can't imagine being a party to making something that is so disgusting negative the only experience i have had with that film because i can't watch horror movies i get scared in approximately 45 seconds um the only experience and interaction i've had with that film though is that daniel tosh did a spoiler of it where he speaks for 45 straight minutes and like details every plot development with all of his commentary and as controversial as he may be and as controversial as that film is that spoiler is hilarious okay so here's the thing let me ask you this i accidentally in a review when that movie first came out i accidentally read a sent one sentence in a movie review in like new york magazine and it was so repellent to me just reading the sentence that i it was like it was burned in my brain and anytime my mind had a little free time it would go back and be like it was like a cigarette burn on my brain it was so offensive to me so I don't even think I could hang with the the Daniel Tosh thing just because yeah. I don't. It's a lot. So fuck that shit. All right. Yeah. No human centipede. Yeah. All right. What's a profession other than your own or owns that you would like to try? Maybe something like goat uh, goat farming or alpaca farming. For sure. I'm stealing that a little bit. I just interviewed Heidi Blickenstaff, uh, Broadway's Heidi mm-hmm. Blickenstaff, and she surprised me by saying she would be interested in that. But I do have a long-standing love of um, like goats and yeah. animals that you can have around them, like llamas and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so, I think that would be good. Fantastic. Yeah. Someone living or dead you'd like to have dinner with? Oh boy. I'm just going to go straight to the most obvious answer, which would be like a Jesus, like a Jesus. A Jesus. Uh, just because I would be interested. Do you want to meet Jesus? Jesus? If Jesus mm-hmm. did exist, I'm so interested to know if he was super special, if he was mentally ill, if he was oh, um, like what I'd really love to just get down on it and be like, not through the interpretation of others, but just through my own perception. What mm. kind of a dude is this dude? Fascinating. Yeah. Very I bet he was cool. super special. Like, Probably. You know, he... A made, great orator at the minimum. Yeah, yeah. So I think that would be... I don't know if I believe in all that, like, son of God. Right, uh, yeah. No, that's open. But, um, but I, bet, I bet there's, you know, he yeah. might have been really great. Maybe had a fantastic sense of humor, too. Let's hope so. Yeah. Or decide so. I mean, who's to say? I'll tell you after that dinner. Yeah, you at the dinner. All right, and these last two go together. All right. When's a moment you felt lost? Do I wait for the next part or no? I just go. first part. When's a moment I felt lost? Are we getting real? Are we getting really real? We're getting real, real. Well, as real, real as you're willing to be real. Well, since we've talked professionally, I've talked professionally. There was a time when I stopped completely auditioning for other people's stuff. And I was like, this career is too hard. 
and I don't think I want to put myself through this anymore but I didn't know what else I really, really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, that was super achy. Like the, if I'm ha- having my identity be defined for so long as this sort of actor, performer, creative person, and then be like, well, you're not going to be that, then who am I and who are you going to be? That felt super lost and it ached. I remember it be, and whenever I work with people who are mm-hmm. in that place, I am very empathetic towards it because it is painful. I find that to be very painful and I felt pretty lost during that time. How old were you when that was happening? Mm, that's a really good question. I'm going to say my early 30s. So I'm mm-hmm. 47 million years now. Um, and that was in you my don't early like a- day older than Thank 45 you. million <laughs> clean living gracie clean living um but so um you know it's been that's been like 15 years ago but yeah. it was painful and when is a moment you felt on track i feel pretty on track right now seems like it i'm not 100 percent on track though like full disclosure i'm not 100 percent on track and there's things that i'm always like tink tink tinkering with and mm-hmm. and um trying to refine and do better um, you know, this is the truth when I have felt on track is so right now I'm working on it. If you know me, well, you know that I'm working on the fact that I have 3,500 emails in my inbox right this moment, which is why it makes me so hard to get in touch with because mm-hmm. if things can get lost in the 3,500 emails, sure. but I know that when I'm down to inbox zero, getting things done. When I'm down to inbox zero, I feel very on track and I feel like my arms are around my life. So I'm working towards that. And I have felt very on track when I'm at inbox zero. Mm -hmm. It's been quite some time since I've been at inbox zero, but I'm going to get there. I like that as a nice marker. Yeah. The point. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all of our quick round questions. Thank you so much for making the trip down here today. Lynch. Hanging out with me. Oh my gosh. It's my pleasure. This has been great. All right. That's it for us today. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Justin.